If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 561. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give us an email address. We'll give you a free ebook. Forgotten Founders and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. Always free to enroll. Get that free class 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. And you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. You can also support the show by clicking on that support tab at brianmclanahan.com. Throw a few pennies my way. You can get a book plate, my autograph of one of my books. You can purchase my books anywhere books are sold online. And my latest two books are The Jeffersonian Tradition and Southern Scribblings. You can also support the show by clicking on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. And that is my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. Lots of great ways to support the show. And as always, share the podcast around on social media. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can rate the podcast. You can review the podcast. Do all of those things because the more ratings, the more reviews, the more subscriptions, the more people are going to get on board with this show and they're going to be thinking locally and acting locally before they know it. It's, it's going to happen. It's the natural progression of people thinking about these things. It's very easy to be a mainstream conservative and just kind of, yeah, yeah. But once you start digging into the material, there's no turning back. You've gone down the rabbit hole then, and it's all over for you for not thinking about these things a little more uh, clearly, in my estimation. And as always, send me, send me those show requests. Let me know what you want to hear. I do read your emails, and I appreciate all the support. Uh, and so that way, of course, you help produce content. Now, this what we're going to talk about today, kicking off the week, it is January 10th. We're going to talk about a piece that uh, Helen Andrews wrote for the American Conservative, a heroic piece. And I received this many, many times in that month that I was off, and I just didn't have the ability to podcast. So it's a very good piece on Reconstruction. And I say heroic because what Helen Andrews has done here in a mainstream publication like the American Conservative is blast to pieces the Eric Foner fraud of Reconstruction. And she took a lot of heat for this because she goes after one of the sacred cows of the left, and that would be W.E.B. Du Bois. You can't go after Du Bois. If you say that uh, Booker T. Washington was more perceptive and more accurate on race relations than Du Bois. Well, then you're just supporting the 19th century Jim Crow status quo. That's all you support. I remember when I wrote my book, uh, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Real American Heroes, and I have in that book, uh, Booker T. Washington, uh, it was one of the reviews somebody wrote, well... Yeah, he supports underdogs, but only the underdogs that know their place. He doesn't support anyone that wants to get out of place. Now, that's an inaccurate representation of Booker T. Washington. 
Washington was certainly in favor of everything that the boys advocated when it came to uh, you know, civil rights. He believed in those things. He believed in political power and economic power for black Americans. What he didn't want, though, was uh, to get to a situation where you didn't have strong, independent black communities. And he thought the way that he was pursuing that with things like Tuskegee and strong, uh, strong economies for black, uh, black-owned businesses and other things was the way to go. And that Du Bois was advocating his, his method of doing things was never going to achieve the desired results. Now, uh, Washington lived in Macon County, Alabama, and he could vote. That's one thing that people don't realize. He could vote in Macon County. In fact, they controlled Macon County. He and, and the uh, faculty at, at Tuskegee, and they controlled it. And Washington also was in favor of Confederate monuments. Uh, his book, Up From Slavery, is one of the best ever written uh, from the late 19th century. It's really good when it comes to this contemporary account of what American society was like. And he's very hard on the North, by the way, which is interesting. He was a Southerner first and foremost in many ways. So this piece by Helen Andrews, though, just takes Du Bois apart and his book, Black Reconstruction. And that book is the key. That book is the key to Eric Foner. You see, Eric Foner's book on Reconstruction was a transformative book. It is one of the books that I'm going to have a class this year on 25 books that screwed up America. And it's one of the books I'm going to talk about. And so this is kind of preemptive strike in that. I don't know which, if that class is going to be the first one I do this year or if it's going to be the second one. But anyways, it's going to be in the rotation this year. If I can get... I'm going to shoot for four classes, maybe five. We'll see how it goes this year. But at the minimum, three. So if uh, if this, I mean, this that book changed the historical profession when it came to Reconstruction. And Reconstruction, more than the war, is important for understanding American history because Reconstruction fundamentally changed America. And it began in 1862. And you look at Eric Foner. Eric Foner... Uh, loved that loved Du Bois book. In fact, he talks about this. He gave a review of that book, and that became the basis of his book on Reconstruction. And his whole attempt was to prove that Du Bois was right. And now, essentially, Du Bois uh, is the authority, at least this is what mainstream America thinks, essentially he's the authority on Reconstruction. Unchallenged, though. Du Bois, though, as Helen Andrews points out, was challenged at the time. So let's read this piece. The Library of America is reissuing W.E. Du Bois's Black Reconstruction, a farrago of distortions. W.E.B. Du Bois, co-founder of the National Association of Advancement of Colored People, uh, is, of course, uh, the one, again, one of the central figures of early 20th century history. And again, if you take, he almost lived to be 100 years old. If you take any American history course, you're going to focus a lot on Du Bois. She says, The wholesale reinterpretation of history around a left-wing narrative about race, which the 1619 Project is trying to accomplish for the rest of the American story, was first trialed on the history of Reconstruction. For most of the 20th century, Reconstruction was seen as a squalid and shameful coda to the Civil War, when northern radicals and carpetbaggers enacted their wildest fantasies of humiliation and spoilation on a prostrate South. 
Starting in the 1960s, a group of revisionist historians began arguing that Reconstruction had actually been a noble experiment in interracial democracy, too quickly abandoned. It is noteworthy that this line started being touted only after the last people with first-hand memories of Reconstruction had died. It's also important to note that the people that were pushing this are now accepted as the, the most important scholars of Reconstruction by quote-unquote conservatives, people like Karl Rove and people like Brian Kilmeade. I mean, you look at people like uh, uh, Bill O'Reilly, the, the books that they write on this mainstream, Dinesh D'Souza, the mainstream conservative position, quote-unquote conservative position, is indistinguishable from these 1960 radicals on Reconstruction and what it was. They might as well be Eric Foner. I've said this before in writing, but they don't get it. Michael Anton might as well be Eric Foner on this issue. The Uratex of this revisionist school is W.E.B. Du Bois's Black Reconstruction, published in 1935, now reissued in a deluxe edition by the Library of America. In his introduction, Du Bois promises a straightforward history, differing from his predecessors only in that, quote, I am going to tell this story as through Negro, as though Negroes were ordinary human beings. In fact, the book is much more than that, a bold attempt to apply a Marxist framework to the Civil War period from the general strike of labor that supposedly crippled the Confederate war effort to the counter-revolution of 1876 that overthrew the Reconstruction government's dictatorship of labor. That's important to note. Basically, he's saying that the general strike of labor, that slaves stopped working, but this isn't true. It's not true at all. Uh, and that uh, the counter-revolution, it wasn't really a revolution, it was a reestablishment of, this is the Bourbon Redemption, it was the reestablishment of uh, the traditional power structure in the South. Now, one thing that's interesting about this is that Du Bois was being playing a little fast and loose with some things. He's saying that nobody took into account black views of Reconstruction at all. In fact, that's simply not true. The Dunning School did it all the time. Now, were they racist? Yes. Did they think that blacks were incapable of government itself, government this time? Absolutely. But so did many Americans, even during the time period. So they were generally... Uh, and, and by the way, most of the Dunning School were Northerners, uh, but they were doing this uh, as a reflection of the period of time. And when you look at the Fleming Collection, the Documentary History of Reconstruction, when you look at that, you'll find that there are some pieces in there that are generally sympathetic with the plight of former slaves in the South. They try to give their perspective. They they talk about things that were abusive to freedmen in the South. What they're hard on are the abuses by the general government and the corruption that ensued with Reconstruction. Black Reconstruction is not the sort of book any scholar would want as the foundation of a new interpretive school. Du Bois was no historian. He consulted only limited sources and did no original archival research, an omission that disturbed many scholars, several of whom deceptively noted the author as generous foundation support, according to his biographer David Levering Lewis. The germ of this project was a dispute Du Bois had with the editors of Encyclopedia Britannica in 1929. They commissioned an entry on black history from him, 
which he withdrew when they asked him to delete some excessively rosy passages on Reconstruction. Obviously, the Britannic editors wanted a racially progressive spin on history, or they would not have gone to Du Bois, but there was a line between creative reinterpretation and outright fantasy, and in their professional opinion, Du Bois had crossed it. There is no point beating around the bush, he says. The version of Reconstruction history that Du Bois presents is based on motivated reasoning and tendacious distortions of the evidence. That is why it is so disturbing that this school is now the conventional wisdom. With no tools other than rep- repetitive, oh, I'm sorry, repetition and vehemence, these brazen innovators succeeded in getting their misrepresentations enthroned as orthodoxy, and the common sense histories of yesterday not just superseded, but slandered as racist. This is true. I mean, so just because an individual is racist doesn't mean that what they're writing is racist. Now, they can say things that we would say, ah, well, I mean, they're saying that's pretty racist. But if you say that Reconstruction governments were corrupt, well, they're going to say that's racist because it's based on the fact that you think because these people were black, they didn't, they, they couldn't govern themselves. But there was tremendous cons- uh, co- uh, corruption in Reconstruction. There was tremendous, outrageous corruption in Reconstruction at the state and federal level. It's, it's easy to find the evidence of it. Critics of Reconstruction were right about these things. To begin with a uh, simple example, Du Bois attempts to refute one of the major accusations against the Reconstruction state legislatures, that they were profligate and corrupt. The increase of debts under the Reconstruction regime was not large. There can be no possible proof that all this increase in debtedness represented theft nor is there any adequate reason for believing that most of it did. There is nothing on the face of the figures that proves unusual theft, but this is not true. As she points out, perhaps the figures do not prove theft, but they certainly suggest it. Between 1868 and 1872, the South Carolina legislature appropriated $200,000 for furniture. When auditors examined the state house in 1877, only $17,715 worth of furniture and original prices was found. In 1890, the whole house chamber was refurbished for $3,061. Expenditure on champagne and whiskey for the Columbia State House was $125 in a single year. $125,000, excuse me, in a single year, equivalent to about $1.5 million today. Other states, such as Louisiana, saw tenfold increases in their budgets relative to pre-war averages. Du Bois suggests this money might have been spent carefully and honestly upon a legitimate and necessary matters of restoration and government. No one at the time was so naive. This is true, right? Everyone knew what was happening here. This was lining people's pockets. And they were doing all kinds of things like jacking taxes up to confiscate property. I mean, all the things that were going on in the South were horrible economically. When he does acknowledge that corruption occurred, Du Bois draws a false equivalence between carpetbag governments and their corrupt northern contemporaries, which included urban machines like Tammany Hall. The absurdity of this comparison can be easily illustrated. During the years of Reconstruction, Tammany-controlled New York saw the opening of Central Park and Prospect Park and groundbreaking on the Brooklyn Bridge, three all-time marvels of urban engineering. North Carolina, by contrast, spent tens of millions of dollars on railroads that were never built. By 1880, New York was the biggest, richest city in America, while the South was still poorer than it had been before the war. Southern corruption was not just a matter of a little graft here and there. It was the complete subordination of every level of government to the personal enrichment of a few. If budget numbers were not eloquent enough, we also have the testimony of thousands of Southerners in books, diaries, and letters describing legislators who openly sold their votes for cash and judges who refused to convict thieves who were caught red-handed unless the victim paid the going rate for justice. 
Du Bois discounts his eyewitness evidence as worthless. Quote, three-fourths of the testimony against the Negro on Reconstruction is on the unsupported evidence of men who hated and despised Negroes and regarded it as loyalty to blood, patriotism to country, and filial tribute to the father to the fathers to lie, steal, or kill in order to discredit these black folk, he writes. This is how all Reconstruction revisionists must treat primary sources and as so many lies and delusions. Again, an important point to make. You see, the entire righteous cause myth, and of course this transition from Reconstruction from a bad time to a good time, but an, uh, an unfinished revolution, as Foner says, is based on the supposition that all these Southerners lied. Du Bois said, these people just lied. Well, where's your evidence that they're lying? There's none. There's no evidence there at all. It's just your opinion that they're lying. This is a polemic. Du Bois's work is a polemic in many ways. Unsupported, unsubstantiated, but a polemic. And this is what passes for history now. This is what the 1619 Project is. They even admit it's just journalism now. It's not really history. It's just journalism. Du Bois's book essentially is journalism. But Eric Foner went out and tried to say it's all true. And people would say, well, Foner went out and proved all of Du Bois. Well, he didn't. He didn't. Foner did go out and write, uh, he, he did a project where he went out and found uh, substantial numbers of, and, and identified substantial numbers of black legislators and said that a lot of these people were not corrupt, et cetera, et cetera. So he's trying to re rehabilitate some of the reputations of these characters. And in some cases, I think, did so pretty uh, adequately. But the only good book that Foner ever wrote was his uh, Free Soil, Free Labor, Free Men. He is very honest in his recent book on the uh, on the Constitution, the, the I should say the Civil War Amendment. It's most important, the 14th Amendment. He's very honest in what he's doing there and saying this is a whole new Constitution. We had a whole new United States. This is what Foner wants to do. He's also been dishonest about other things. Where he says things like, nobody was talking about the tariff in 1860 and 61. Yes, they were. People were talking about the tariff. She says, perhaps there are indeed instances where modern readers might usefully interrogate the motivations behind written testimony. When Southerners write over and over that undisciplined militias of armed freemen made them feel unsafe, drilling in the middle of the street and intimidating local Democrats confident in their immunity from legal consequences, it may be that these fears were partially, partly motivated by racial prejudice. But Du Bois is glib to write off all the evidence this way. In Gaston County, North Carolina, the Union League came to town and soon after, 28 white farmers had their barns burned down in a single week, leaving the victims destitute and near starvation. Did Gastonians dream that? Did the barns burn themselves? Again, very good questions. Excellent questions. The boys would say, well, this didn't really happen. The most persuasive testimony we have is not from ex-Confederates, but from true-believing liberals who nonetheless became convinced that Reconstruction was a betrayal of their ideals. James S. Pike, author of the scathing book The Prostrate State about Reconstruction in South Carolina, was a radical Republican from Maine and a former ally of Thaddeus Stevens. Daniel Chamberlain of Massachusetts commanded a black regiment in the Union Army, yet in 1901 he published the overwhelmingly negative assessment Reconstruction in South Carolina in the Atlantic Monthly, itself the house magazine of high-minded Boston abolitionism. Reconstruction ended not because Southerners overthrew it, but because Northern liberals could no longer in good conscience defend it. The plain truth is that Reconstruction was bad, objectively bad. It was a time of school commissioners who signed their names with an X, tax collectors who pocketed huge sums for private use, tin-pot tyrants who had citizens court-martialed and sent to the 
dry tortugas for the crime of, in, of insulting the Republican Party. The only possible reason for alienizing this traumatic episode would be if you had an ulterior political reason to do so. Well, 100% correct. That's exactly right. This is why this piece is so heroic and so good. It is no coincidence that the two most prominent Reconstruction revisionists, Du Bois and Eric Foner, are both Marxists. Du Bois did a Stalinist, died a Stalinist and appointed prominent communist historian Herbert uh, Aptheker as his literary uh, execu- executor. Uh, Foner is a longtime Soviet sympathizer whose father and uncles were CPUSA members. In 1990, he encouraged Mikhail Gorbachev, faced with upstart secessionists in the Baltics, to imitate Abraham Lincoln's example and preserve his union. Again, we forget about Foner, but this is the guy that the right, many on the right, think is a great historian. You can't make this up. These men's communist affiliations are not just a gotcha. When revisionists say that Reconstruction only failed because it was not tried hard enough, what they mean is that America did not go all the way to a 1917-style revolution. Foner is circumspect about this, referring delicately to expropriation and the make-or-break issue of land redistribution. Du Bois comes right out and says it, quote, Only a vast and single-eyed dictatorship of the nation could guide us up from murder in the South and robbery and cheating in the North into a nation whose infinite resources would be developed in the interests of the mass of the nation, that is, of the laboring poor. Du Bois describes Reconstruction as, quote, one of the most extraordinary experiments of Marxism that the world before the Russian Revolution had seen. The parallel is apt. The only question is, is why the Library of America would reissue the book of a man who argued that America is never attempting a Leninist dictatorship of the proletariat on a national scale was a bad thing. You see, Reconstruction becomes the missed opportunity for the communist takeover of America. It could have happened in 1866 rather than later on, which the progressive movement has gradually accomplished. But it didn't happen right then. Reconstruction has been called a piece of the 20th century that fell into the 19th. It certainly bears resemblance to the post-colonial regimes that arose in Africa in the 1960s, both in the ruin that followed and in the how-dare-you reaction of defenders who insist that any more gradual path would have been an unspeakable moral enormity. Recently, we have seen a push to do, to do uh, for the last 400 years what Du Bois and his heirs did for Reconstruction. Rewrite history so that good is bad, heroes are villains, and the solution to every problem, no matter the circumstances, is to give money and power to racial minorities. If that push succeeds, it may equally be said in the future that Reconstruction historiography, historiography excuse me, was a piece of the 21st century that fell to the 20th. Now, at McClanahan Academy, I do a whole course on Reconstruction, and this is essentially the path that I take with it that Helen Andrews is outlining here. This is a nice summary of how I do these things. But uh, we've had several instances of Reconstruction in America, and uh, this first phase of Reconstruction is just that, a phase but it didn't end there, and it wasn't just about race. It was about economy. It was about foreign policy. It was about everything, a radical political transformation of America. All these things were happening. And so I really like this piece. Uh, it's so good, and I think taking down Du Bois is important when you look at the sloppiness of his scholarship, the unsubstantiated claims, the pure political motivation behind this, the fact that Eric Foner essentially co-opted it and made it into his book on Reconstruction, she doesn't say that here, but that's what Foner did. I mean, he said it. This is what he said. Uh, and how important this book has been to the destruction of the uh, 
understanding of Reconstruction in America. I highly recommend you go out and read The Dunning School. You may not always agree with them. They're not always right. But you know what? They do a more substantial and comprehensive job on Reconstruction than Du Bois ever did or Eric Foner ever did. And if you get uh, the documentary history of Reconstruction, which is available free online because it's in public domain, uh, it's just an awesome collection of documents that show what Reconstruction really was. And it's it's not always uh, what you would expect. They, they don't just cherry-pick things to show their side. They show a, a variety of sides. They give you documents, for example, from the Union League itself. This is what the Union League said they were doing. And then we have these eyewitness accounts of what the Union League was doing. So what was it? Uh, I think Shotwell Press is a book out on the Union Leagues, um, which you might want to check out. But uh, th- look... This this uh, is an important part of our collective memory, memory studies. We it's history, our collective memory of Reconstruction. As we've as we start writing different histories, and as the right co-ops Eric Foner and makes him one of theirs, so you have Brian Kilmeade out there saying, you know, the best guys out there are Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. What have you just done? You're not conserving anything. If you make Frederick Douglass a conservative hero or W.E.B. Du Bois or Eric Foner your guy when it comes to history, you've already lost. You've just conceded the whole field, and you're not really a conservative at all. This is something I've said over and over again in this podcast, and you need to understand that. So, read this piece. Or I just read it for you, but this piece by Helen Andrews, great writer. Uh, she does a good job at the American Conservative. You should go out there and follow her work there. Uh, and uh, and read it. You may not always agree with her, but I think that you'd, you'd like it. So, hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you next time for the next one. See you tomorrow.